950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. It is time for us to, yeah, talk about it. The Minnesota Vikings lose to the Cincinnati Bengals on Saturday. Michael Broadcorp is not only our uh, political expert, especially from the Republican side, but also our Vikings expert, and he's kind enough today to join us to talk a little bit about the Vikings and a little bit about politics. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm 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 good. I, I view this as part of a part of the therapy, part of the healing process. Yes. And so I'm looking forward to this this time on the couch, just talking with you and commiserating. Okay. Can we? Can I just actually walk this back a little bit? I think we really do need to go back to something you and I talked about last time, which is if I was to tell if I was to tell Vikings fans you're going to lose Cousins for two thirds of the season, Jefferson for at least half of it. And you're still going to, there is a very legit chance they're going to be a playoff team. And, you know, they, they, they could do this. The reality is, I think if, if people would say, oh, we're not 6-10 and 10 or 6-11 or and 11, where we actually make the playoffs, I think people would be ecstatic. And I think because sometimes we need to step back and look at the perspective. Yeah, this is, at the beginning of the season, we were talking about Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson, and we were definitely going to be a threat to possibly win the NFC North, maybe get a, you know, maybe even, you know, do do even better than we did last year. But when you put it in perspective that way, I think most people can say, yeah, this is, it's not ideal, but at least we are playing important games that matter in December. Correct. Yes. I will say to you, though, sir, yes. that the games that I have seen this year have been some of the worst football that <laughs> I've ever experienced. <laughs> and the, the the last three games that I've had the, ple- the pleasure of coming on your radio program and discussing have been some of the worst that I've ever seen. Um, and it's been really tough. And I think the problem that I'm having just because, look, I'm not an expert on the Vikings. Uh, I, you know, I'm a season ticket holder for all these years, and, and I watch the games as best I can. But this is not my this is not my my background. I watch it and view it through the fan experience. The fan experience the last three games has been really really tough. And last week they got the W, they got the 3-0 win. But to, this game was really difficult to watch. It was challenging to watch, and it was very difficult to think that. This that was a good, that was a well played football game. The defense continues to do great, uh, and I tell you, I, I'm starting to think about the possibilities next year when when we have a Kirk Cousins or another quarterback in that role, being able to to work in concert with this defense. But the last three games have been very very difficult for the Vikings. Okay, so you you brought this up, and I, I'm I'm. Uh, yeah. The Vikings looked like they had this game under control. Seventeen, it was uh, seventeen to three. Um, the, the Bengals looked like the Bengals, and they did not look good. Yes. And then, and then, but then, and you want to talk about the defense? Here's the part which is frustrating: they allowed the Cincinnati Bengals, a bad team that could not move the ball at all, to start moving the ball at will. They got twenty-one points yes. in the final quarter, and they got it relatively easily because. Correct. They went into a preventive. I mean, they were absolutely pantsing them in man-to-man coverage, and then for some reason they just sort of said, "Okay, we'll just go to we'll go to a zone defense." And the Bengals started finding these eight, ten, fifteen-yard throws, and all of a sudden there was a lot of people looking around saying, "What are we doing?" I. It was not only was it a bad strategy, but 
Also, you have to ask the question of why in the world did you not go back to the man coverage, which once again confounded the Bengals for two-thirds of that game? I do not understand the logic of it. And there seems there was there were literally two games that were played inside the game, and there was just a shift in that last quarter. There was a shift in that last quarter in terms of the Vikings' approach style and how they went out on defense. And that's where they lost the game. That's where they lost the game. It's interesting. Um, I was I was feeling pretty confident, as most Viking fans do sometimes, in the third quarter when the Vikings were up. And prior to the game, the, the hosts of the NFL Network had all picked that the Bengals were going to win. And so I took a picture of the, of the screen and where, you know, they all picked the Bengals. And I was going to tweet it out and I was going to say, look, you know, these guys clearly made a mistake. Boy, am I glad I didn't do that mm-hmm. uh, because the Bengals came back in strong fashion. And, you know, that was a game that the Vikings could have won. And that's what I would say about, you know, of the last three games that they've played, they've won one, lost two. Both the games that they lost, both the Bears and the Bengals, those were winning games. Yeah. Those were games that they could have won, and they arguably should have won, and they didn't. Yet here we are, Matt, again, because – as you pointed out on the DM, scheduling this interview, um, the, the Packers lost. Um, the Vikings now have three division games. With they have the uh, Lions coming up on Sunday. Then they have the uh, they have the Packers. Then they finish off the season with the Vikings again. If the Vikings win outright, they could win the division. Well, and 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 they will. <laughs> Yeah, they would, would they? Because because remember that Detroit game that's in the middle. But when we're playing Green Bay, they're at Dallas. That is not a that is not a friendly game. So Detroit's got a they've got to beat the Vikings next week just to basically tap down this. Because if they lose to the Vikings next week, and then the Vikings basically beat up on the Packers while they lose to Detroit, then yeah, that the, there is an insane amount of pressure. I mean, all the pressures on them. The Vikings they're playing with house money at that point because they they don't have Kirk Cousins. They you know they're they're they get through great. I think you can't look at anything but it being a massive success at that point. And so yeah, it, it does play out for them. But I I want to kind of go back to play calling a little bit in the, the game with the Cincinnati Bengals. Mullins, who didn't play bad, 303 yards, 26, uh, 33, uh, 26 out of 33, two interceptions. That's where he got killed. It was in overtime. They have got third and one. They tried to do a sneak with Mullins. That does not happen. Now, you want to go for it on fourth down. I can somewhat understand the logic. I think there was like six and a half minutes left to go in the overtime. You, They might not get the ball back. Uh, and so you're, you're. I think they were what at the 46 yard line of the Bengals yeah, at that point. That. Yeah, yeah. the 46 yard line of the Bengals. They. You, so you say to yourself, okay. I mean, we try to go for this. You're. If you don't make this, you're going to have. You know, it, you're giving them a very short field, which ended up coming back and biting us. But when they ran Mullins again on fourth, I mean, this is. You've got three. Incredible receivers in Addison and Jefferson and in, in the tight end, Hockelson. You 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 got three good receivers. Have them take three steps, turn around, fire it on a dime, and you're done. And and the reality is, is I I for some reason, why did they run that play twice? Because it didn't work the first time and it sure didn't work the second time. I think that the Vikings, and what we've noticed in this is we noticed this with, with, with Dobbs and we're now noticing a bit with Mullins is that there's just a limitation to what they can do on the field right now. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we're starting to get, I think, a good appreciation of the, the, the difference between somebody who plays at Cousins level or a, a, a regular starter in the NFL and a backup. And, you know, Mullins was in the backup role. And, and he's going to start on Sunday um, now against uh, the Lions. He will start. Mullins will be the quarterback that will start, and we'll see. I mean, leading up to that, I mean, he complete, as you noted, 26 of 33 passes. Uh, he had, you know, two touchdowns. Um, but it just in those kind of critical moments of the game is where this stuff seems to be falling apart. And uh, this has been the history. This has kind of been the KOC kind of reign over the last two seasons. It's those final minutes of the games is where we're either winning or we're losing. And um, we've rushed, came into a little bit of bad luck here over the last, definitely this season, with kind of those final minutes of the game and, and kind of the overall structure and strength of the play calling and the ability to put, uh, you know, quarterbacks that are arguably backup quarterbacks that are now in the starting role in a position where they can win the game. Well, and, and I just, I, especially a nuanced thing, cousins in a heartbeat. I would have run that play twice with cousins every day. If you're trying to, because cousins, he, he's out there on a regular basis. He gets it. He understands. He, he can see he's there on a regular basis and he sees when a fullback is in front of him and he can see the angle. And he says, well, if I go to the left, I'm going to get the yard. If I go to the right, I'm not going to get it. And these are little things that you can't throw on a backup quarterback. What you can do with him is a simple, quick one step over the line. Then you even then at that point have a 50, 50 chance. Someone's going to pass interference the guy. So, I mean, I just, I, I think that the, the, the offensive play call there, you definitely, you, je- you definitely failed because you can't, you, you have to play with the cards you've got. You cannot bluff your way through that situation and so your best bet was either Jefferson or Addison or, or your tight end. And then just, you know, and your tight end is usually the option there because they're so much bigger than the third, the, the, the third cover guy. So, you know, throw it high up to the tight end and he falls forward. You're good. And it just like I said, would have, could have, should have. You and I have been able to do that a lot these last few games. Correct. And any other point I would make is both with Dobbs and with Mullins. It seems to be that the more that they are playing – the worst off they're doing. <laughs> and we saw that with Dobbs a little bit too, yep. is that, you know, when he first came in those first couple of games, he was just, he was just because he had a limited understanding, I think of the offensive playbook and what he needed to do. It's when you started to add more layers in that more of the mistakes start to happen. The Josh Dobbs, and again, I've never been an NFL quarterback, but the Josh Dobbs that was playing in the last few quarters before he was uh, replaced with Mullins was a much different type of confidence quarterback than when he first came in against Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And um, what I think is important for this coaching staff is that there needs to be confidence in the quarter, quarterback position, and they need, to be, they need to be play calling to the quarterback strength. You cannot expect a Mullins or a Dobbs to play at the level of Cousins. Yep. You can, they are replacing the quarterback, but they cannot replace that particular quarterback. They're filling that role, yeah. but it's just, it's, you're not setting them up for an expectation to succeed. Well, and to, um, to, pig, to piggyback price, on that, and to piggyback on that really quick, you know, it, just because Mullins or Dobbs has two or three good plays in a row doesn't mean they're freaking Kirk Cousins. And you've got to remember right. that. I mean, that's because you, you've got to act as if that's the lucky part, the three plays in a row, and you've got to anticipate as the backup that the fourth and fifth player are going to, you're not going to happen, especially after the Vegas game, man. Yes. And I will just point to yes, and I'll point out to yes, the Vegas game, correct. And where we're coming into now 
into these final three games is the Vikings are now a number six. They're a number six seed. Yep. In the playoffs right now, there is a there is a they're a number six seed, and there's uh, an absolute possibility that the Vikings make the playoffs here. And you know, to be honest with you, we got we have two home games. Yep. Um, the Vikings should win. I believe the Vikings should win two of the next three. I agree with you. I, I think these next two home games, they're setting themselves up. And, I mean, this next game against Detroit's really everything. You win that game, you 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 then you can feast on the, the Green Bay Packers and before you go to Detroit. Uh, just to make, you know, kind of piggyback on what you're saying about where the standings are. San Francisco's number one right now. The Eagles are number two because Eagles play Seattle tonight. Seattle needs to win to stay kind of in contention. And Philadelphia needs to win if they want to stay with possibly winning the NFC and getting that bye week. Uh, Detroit's three, Tampa's four because they're the division winners. Dallas is the five seed. They'll play a road game, uh, it looks like, uh, or there's a chance they could. If Philadelphia wins tonight, they're they're definitely in a a bind. Then the Vikings and currently the Rams are the seventh seed. You're right. The way that these teams are playing now, the Vikings, there's a legit chance the Vikings could be a playoff team at the very least on the road. But... Yeah, it, you know Detroit's not going to you know they don't have an easy thing here. They've got to get they got to beat at win at Minnesota. They got to win at Dallas, and then they got to win at home against Minnesota. Like I said, I think if you get to that final game, the Vikings have won their two games, and Detroit has lost that game specifically to the Dallas Cowboys. Every bit of pressure is on them at that point. Correct. If the Vikings win, then if the Vikings win this Sunday at home against Detroit, they win on New Year's Eve against the Packers, the Vikings then are playing for the division um, will be decided on that first week in January. That's the division. I mean, that's the game. Well, and, it'll, be, it'll be... Well, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you, you, would, you would either win the division or you're playing for a playoff game. I mean, if you do that, right. you're, you're... And once again, let's get back to the positive. No one would even dream of this if Kirk Cousins wasn't there for two thirds of the season. So I think that if we get into that position, we, you know, even though we're going to get destroyed in the first round, you know, you can feel good about things because you know what we outperformed considering what we had, the hand that we were dealt. Yes, and the absolute possibility would be if the Vikings win against Detroit, they win against the Packers, and then they play Detroit and they win. That means that they that means they win the division. They would likely play. There's a possibility that either way they could end up playing Detroit again, yeah, they could. Um, and so we're going to be getting real friendly with uh, the Detroit Lions fan base uh, over the next few weeks, or, or the Cowboys, which I think the Bills kind of proved that Cowboys are might not be what they all say they are. Anyway, uh, good stuff. Now, reminder: you are not here. We're of course next Monday, Christmas Day. Merry Christmas to you, Michael. Uh, we will have you. you back on the 4 o'clock hour on the 29th. We're live on the 29th. You're going to join us for that day to kind of recap Detroit, but look forward to the Green Bay game and kind of look at, you know, as we get in towards New Year's, we're planning on that. Really quick before you go, um, I, I want to ask you, you have been very straightforward that, you know, you, you vote Republican, you encourage Republicans, but you have looked at Donald Trump and this is not something that the Republican Party should be. You've been very vocal about that. He has, in the last few weeks, really gone, Trump has really gone down a very ugly path. Yet, it is incredibly disheartening to see, especially after the comments he made in New Hampshire this weekend, you know, talking about immigrants and, you know, and, and making, you know, comments about immigrants destroying our blood, you know, very reminiscent of, of evil people over the last century. You know, you've... you've I, 
you've got you understand the Republican voter better. How is how is this encouraging of a dictatorship, embracing of anti-Semitism, embracing of 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 kind of this you know you know racism and these ideas and these autocratic solutions that he keeps putting forward? How is this not broken the 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 back of most of the Republican voters at this point? I think there are a number. I think it's because it's a cult in many ways. I think that the MAGA element of the party uh, is an uh, absolute cult. I think that um, Donald Trump uh, is, I think, poses, if not poses, one of the greatest threats uh, to democracy and the survival of democracy than any other candidate that I can think of. And it is appalling to me the position that Trump continues to be in, which is unfortunately not surprising to me. I've been saying for quite some time, that it's going to be it's going to be Trump. Um, I still believe right now that it's going to be Trump, and I think that his rhetoric is only the rhetoric is only going to get worse. This is not someone who is, um, you know, there's this old kind of adage that kind of works in both both political parties, Matt. That you kind of run to the middle, you kind of run to the kind of the right or run to the left, depending on which party, and then you you get the nomination, but then you moderate yourself into the middle. Donald Trump is serving up red meat, a very ugly red meat to activists inside the Republican Party. And they're eating it up. And his rhetoric is only, I think, going to get more extreme because what's going to happen here as we get to some of these caucus, when we start getting into some of the voting in 2024, his legal issues, I think, are going to start to get more serious. And if there's anything that, that occurs on a pretty consistent basis is that when the, the former president is in court, or there is a legal proceeding going on, that's when he lashes out. Mm -hmm. And I think he's got an enemies list. I think he's got an enemies list, and he is going to be very, very aggressive with his words. And it is very concerning to me, some of the language that he used, some of the policy positions that he's taken, and how he's going to approach this type of stuff. And I have never believed that Donald Trump uh, represented the true core values of the Republican Party which is why I, I've never, I didn't vote for him in 16 or 20. And I think that he will sink Republicans' opportunities to win. There is a very good likelihood that Republicans can pick up control of the United States Senate. What is the biggest challenge to that is, making, is having Republican candidates running in a year where Donald Trump is on the ballot. I think the House could be a little dicey for Republicans to keep, but they're going to work on it. And my position has always been that Donald Trump, uh, having not supported him in 16 or 20, but I think it's a mistake for Republicans to think that he is going to be an, a net positive to the overall Republican ticket. Mm -hmm. But that's why, unfortunately, Matt, I think why the people that he's attracting right now are people who are not interested in a Republican Party that doesn't include Trump. They're interested in Trump being on the ballot because that's who they want to see. Winning the United States second, I think, to some of those people is secondary. Keeping control of the House of Representatives isn't as important. They want Trump, 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 Trump. And mm -hmm. I, I don't understand it. I never will. Um, and my hope is that common sense will prevail at some point. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, and to give the Minnesota GOP credit, they stood up to the MAGA side at that meeting a few a week ago, and and you know, and they said no, this this is not going to work. And so there are signs that the the party might be finally waking up from it. But 
There's a lot of places where that's that's a long way away. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to have a, a conversation more about this. Michael, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much. This Merry Christmas, been, you too, sir. I've, this Vikings thing has been fun, dude. I'm looking forward to chatting with I you. I have to th- tell you. Go ahead. Yes, I feel the exact same way. I didn't mean to cut you off. I feel the exact same way. I've enjoyed these conversations, and I feel like you're kind of helping me through this grieving process together. And so I appreciate you being your friend. We're the most honest sports talk segment in the entire metro area in any given week. Uh, I will talk to you on the 29th, my friend. Have a Merry Christmas and all my best. Same to you and your family. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Michael Broadcorp will wrap up the show when we return. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. Blame it on Chris.